Welcome to Destination Murder, the true crime podcast. Each week, the hosts, that's us, BFS Megan and Tegan, cover stories from a new part of the world. Get ready to combat your travel bug and feed your true crime obsession. I'm stealing it from you. (laughs) (laughs) Dead air. Silence. I forgot we'd started. (laughs) Happy New Year. Tegan, I haven't seen you all year. Oh my god. I'm actually canceling our friendship right now. I love those puns. I was like, to my sister, I was like, oh my gosh, I haven't showered all year. (laughs) I haven't washed my face all year. I love you, but I also hate you just a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I'm here today with my black sludge. Ew, what is that? Um, it's chlorophyll and water. Ew, uh, are you doing like a weird cleanse? No, I just saw this thing that on TikTok that uh, chlorophyll is supposed to make your water taste better um, if you drink it, uh, which it gives it a taste it kind of tastes like to me it tastes kind of like matcha um to everyone else that I've given it to it tastes like dirty pond water so I don't know if I've just been drinking bad matcha it looks like dirty pond water yeah it it literally is black the other thing that's confused people is that they've thought that it's chloroform and not chlorophyll but it's supposed to have some good benefits to drinking it so I'm trying it out. Yeah. I was like, chloroform. If you can want a true crime podcast, you should know you shouldn't drink that. Yeah. It's fine. Unless I just wanted to, you know, try new things. For the thrill of it? Yeah. <laughs> Who doesn't love having 911 on speed dial? <laughs> Alrighty, Megan, are you ready to jump on in? Where are you taking me today, Tegan? I can't remember. They all blur into each other now. I can barely remember where I'm coming from this week. (laughs) I'm coming to you from West Virginia. Mountain mama. Okay. Take me home. Mountain roads. Country (laughs) roads. Oh, I said mountain. Yeah, you really screwed that one up, Megan. 2021 isn't going very well. No. (laughs) Okay. Um, So I am doing the white family of West Virginia. Um, So my sources were Wikipedia, WDTV, and the movie The The Wild and Wonderful Whites of West Virginia. And before I even start this off, I just have to say, if you have Amazon Prime, you need to go watch that movie. It is absolutely insane. Um, My roommates and I watched it a couple months ago, um, like right at the beginning of the pandemic. pandemic. It was like, if you'd watched Tiger King, then you would probably enjoy this. It's bananas. Um, and so when I was looking for a case, I remembered that they're from West Virginia and I was like, I have to cover them. So. Okay. I have Amazon Prime, so I know what I'm doing after this. Yeah. It's hilarious. Okay. I, I die watching it. There's a couple things that my roommates and I just like picked up on that like we kind of used as catchphrases for a couple months. <laughs> <laughs> Alrighty. 
Um, so the White family lives in Boone County, which is a county in the U.S. state of West Virginia. As of the 2010 census, the population was uh, 2,400 people, um, and the Boone County is part of Charleston, uh, West Virginia metropolitan. Hi, editing Megan here. I'm just going to pop in and say that uh, Tegan realized she said 2,400 instead of 24,000, so it's actually a much bigger town than um, we, we initially said it was, just letting you all know. Anyways, back to it. So the leading industries um, and the chief agricultural products in Boone County include coal, lumber, natural gas, tobacco, and strawberries, which is... (laughs) Tobacco and strawberries. Very funny. You've got your classic coal, lumber, and then some tobacco and strawberries flavored in there to make it spicy. Yeah. So they live in Bandytown, which is uh, in Boone County. So <laughs> Bandytown is an unincorporated community in Boone County. Um, Bandytown is approximately 18 miles from Madison, and the community has a total population of over just over 100 with approximately 70 homes. So it's a very, very small community, um, and basically everyone there are just coal miners um, or have something to do with the coal coal industry. So between 2004 and 2008, there was a total of um, 714 crimes reported in Boone County, um, 126 of them violent. Of the 143 crimes that happen every year in Boone County, nearly one half occurs less than one mile from home. On average, someone is a victim of a crime in Boone County. 140 that doesn't make sense cut that out i can hear your cats in the background that's so funny tegan's describing crime rates in this little like the horrible high crime rates in this little town and in the background i can just hear like timmy going like he's decided to get so vocal i don't know what has happened but in the last two weeks he's just like i need to talk all the time now he just comes into my room and sits at the bottom of my bed and goes, Meow! and then I try and pet him and he's like, get away from me. And I'm like, what do you want? <laughs> Anyways, on average, someone is a victim of a crime. That line didn't make sense. So I'm just going to pretend it didn't exist. Um, so there's typically one murder, eight rapes and greater than 400 thefts a year. That's a lot of crime for such a small town. Yeah. Is this... This is the county, so of the 2,400 people. Oh my gosh. So, like, out of this 2,400 people, like, pretty much everyone commits a crime or is a victim of a crime. Yeah. In the documentary, uh, a judge was talking, and he said out of... uh, In Boone County, if you got rid of um, 10 families that lived in Boone County then almost all of the crime would completely stop. And the White family is one of those families. Okay. So let me start off with talking about D. Ray White. 
So Donald Ray White, more commonly known as D. Ray, was born April 17, 1927. He was an American mountain dancer and entertainer and the patriarch of the White family. Wait, wait, a mountain dancer? Yes. So Is that like some kind of coal miner or is it just a dancer? No, he's a dancer. Um, so he was a coal miner, but he also started to do a ma- mountain dancing and became pretty popular. Interesting. All I can think of for that is like, she'll be coming around the mountain when she comes. For some reason, that pops into my head. It's kind of... I'm going to explain what ta- what it kind okay. of is like. So okay. um, he has been featured in several American documentary films that detail the White family. His style was a subtle mixture of tap and clog dancing that is native to the Appalachian Mountains and Appalachia. So D-Ray rose to regional stardom before his murder in 1985, and he became known as one of the greatest mountain dancers of all time. His son, Jesco White, known as the Dancing Outlaw, has carried on his style and continues to perform. Um, D-Ray was profiled as a famous mountain dancer on the PBS special titled Talking Feet, Solo Southern Dance, Flat Foot, Buck and Tap, and the 2009 film It Came From Trafalgar, and the 2009 docudrama White Lightning um, were both inspired by D-Ray and Jesco. So D-Ray and his immediate family um, are the subject of Hank William III's song D-Ray White, featured on his album Straight to Hell. So D-Ray and his wife had 13 kids, and so one of the things that um, happens in like th- these types of communities um, back in like early times, um, back when he was a coal miner, the coal companies would give you like stamps um, instead of paying you cash. So they you could get these stamps to basically go to their general store or any of the supply stores that they had in town. Um, and they were saying in the documentary that $1 of stamps really only bought you 30 cents worth of groceries. So you're being completely ripped off um, from your place of work. Like you weren't getting paid. Like you're being completely exploited and not paid. Yeah. It's like if we got paid in like coupons. Yeah, it basically. Oh for, my gosh. For a store that is owned by your work. So it's owned by the work. Oh my goodness. So So, they're not giving you... Yeah, they're just giving you store credit, essentially. Yeah. It's like if you work at um, a clothing store and they just paid you in, like, clothing store coupons. Yeah. But the clothing store coupons are not equivalent to the actual currency that everybody else uses. That's so horrible. Yeah. My guess is that this was before any of the coal miners were unionized. Yeah, I'm not sure. Um, But anyways, D-Ray saw um, that these big companies and stuff were able to get away with stuff like that. So when he, apparently he knew social security information better than most lawyers do, apparently. Um, So he managed to sign all of his kids up for crazy checks is what his kids like to call them. So they get money each month from the government. And this created a, a large, I guess, view of self-entitlement um, in the children 
um, that he had because they're all absolutely crazy. I wonder if that's just like the government support. I don't know if it happens in the U.S., but I know here every month if you have dependents, the government sends you like $50 or $100 or something. No, I think this is more like like if you've got a mental health issue that um, makes it un- like unable to work. Oh, I see crazy checks. I thought they it was crazy because they got these crazy checks and it was but it's like crazy as in the person was crazy. Yeah. That's why they call. Oh, okay. Yeah. So they all call themselves crazy, but they're actually not there. Oh, okay, okay. But they all get money from the government. So they're basically kind of like living off of welfare, but for like this like mental health support kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So yeah. Uh, so Steve Allen Rowe, who was 30, um, a fellow resident of Boone County, West Virginia, shot D. Ray and his son, Jesco and Dorsey, with a 12-gauge shotgun outside of D. Ray's home on July 2nd, 1985, after quarreling with White and his sons. Uh, D. Ray was killed um, by the shotgun wound to his chest, and Jesco and Dorsey were injured. Jesco received one neck wound and Dorsey a single shotgun to the eye. Um, D-Ray was the only one, only fatality, and the disturbance was reportedly um, because he was protecting his youngest son from a drunken disagreement. Um, Dorsey, who was shot in the face during a dispute with the neighbors who had lost a, uh, who lost his eye, later died of an unintentional self-inflicted gunshot wound. So Dorsey was basically kind of like Tiger King where he was like playing around with the gun and he thought he had unloaded it and went to like pretend shoot himself in the head, but actually the gun still had a bullet in it and he shot himself in the head. Yeah, guns aren't toys, people. Yep. They are weapons and tools used in hunting and that's it. Mhm. It's all they should be used for. Yeah. They should have safe gun practice everywhere. So Ona Fontaine White was one of the daughters of D. Ray and Birdie. Um, She was murdered by her ex-husband after they got divorced, Clyde Davis. Virginia White was also very young. So Ona was 20 when she was killed by her ex-husband. Virginia, who was also very young, was killed in her car crash. Mammy White, um, she's the oldest daughter of D-Ray and Birdie. Um, she's kind of like the 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 mother of the family right now. So Birdie, um, during the filming of the movie, was still alive, but she like was like very like a good Christian woman, and like her kids were like all are kind of like outlaws. And so at her birth, at her 85th birthday party, they were all doing like lines of coke in front of her and smoking um, weed. They were smoking crack in front of her. um, And she's just like sitting in the corner with her shirt over her nose. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Poor grandma. Uh, Yeah. So Mammy is kind of like, she's kind of like the mother of like all of her younger siblings in a way so she Mm, kind of raised she kind of raised everybody else's kids for them and she is just 
also insane. Um, she is dating Billy Hastings. So that's a name to remember. Okay. Mousy White is the eldest daughter of Mammy. And in the movie, she was shown being released from prison and locating her estranged husband and trying to convince him to renew his vows with her in a Food City flower department. Uh, <laughs> both were admittedly high on hydrocodone and alprazolam, alprazolam when they decided to renew their vows. Okay. There's also Mark White, who was in a fight over a pit bull, and a guy shot and killed him. Um... <laughs> Like, this family is just, like, wild. Okay. Holy smokes. So then, um, Kirk White, she's a big part of the movie. She is the daughter of Bo White, who is the daughter of D-Ray and Birdie. But Kirk was almost sent to jail because her dad stabbed someone and, um, killed them. And they were like, you need, the police were like, you need to give us information about what happened. And she was like, just send me to jail because I'm not a snitch. Um, <laughs> My goodness. Yeah. And then um, also she stabbed her ex for cheating on her with her cousin. Um, she tried to slit his throat, but she missed. Um, and apparently Bert, Mammy White, I believe, was with her. And Mammy um, cleaned up all of the blood and got disposed of the weapon so that there was no evidence when the police came to question her. Um, so she actually woman. never got charged with it. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Um, but her ex, his name is uh, Dennis and um, her, her son Tyler um, really hates Dennis, his dad. Um, so it's pretty funny watching him in the movie. Because he just goes, Dennis is this, and then, like, fingers like, the camera. Holds up his two middle fingers. Yeah. Oh, my He's gosh. He's like, Dennis is this. Um, so we were doing that for a while, which was kind of funny. Um, yeah, so that's Kirk White. The family's freewheeling lifestyle um, touches on topics of shootouts, robberies, uh, drug dealing, pill popping, murders, tap dancing, um, the family experiences stabbings, criminal sentencings, attempted murder, death, and birth, while showing four generations of whites um, in the movie. Um, the film uh, moves along at a dizzying pace, um, matching the situations the family gets into seemingly every day. Um, they were also, I read another article, and they were like, they do enough drugs on screen um, for viewers to get a contact high. Oh, no. Like, it sounds like it. Yeah. They, they, um, they're all basically drug dealers of prescription medication. So, like, <laughs> they're like, Sannies, Zanny Bars, um, Purple Percocets. <laughs> Just like, they're like, my drug of choice is Zanny Bars. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Yeah, it sounds like they're just high all the time and then that impacts all their criminal activity. Yeah, they really are. Um, so I'm going to talk about three more of the whites. So okay. um, Jesco White. Um, <laughs> Let me buckle up. I think it's going to get wild. 
<laughs> it is. Um, so Jesco White, after the death of his father, Jesco obtained D-Ray's tapping shoes, which he wears while performing. Um, his brain is severely screwed up from huffing gas and lighter fluid for 10 years. Um, he also compares himself to Elvis and Charles Manson because when he's dancing and having a good time, he feels like Elvis, but when he gets mad, he feels like Charles Manson and he will straight up kill somebody because he doesn't, he's like severely depressed. And so he's like, if I kill someone, it's like the dead killing the dead. So it doesn't really matter. That's so sad. Yeah. A week after the release of the movie, uh, Jesco White and his sister Sue Bob White were arrested in West Virginia on the suspicions of drug-related crimes. Uh, White gave an on-camera interview while in jail and stated that he had been drug-free for 30 years. White um, also said that he is not a bad person and that he was embarrassed and hurt by the arrest. Shortly after the arrest, uh, he was bonded out of jail by the MTV producers of the documentary, and a month after his arrest, the charges against um, him were dismissed due to lack of evidence. Also, that just reminds me, um, Sue Bob, his sister, um, she talks... No, I can't even do it. She talks like this. I can't even do it. It's her voice is completely destroyed from all the drugs that she's done but it was so funny because she's like talking in like this like super raspy voice and she's like i'm the hottest one in my family <laughs> i used to be You're a like, stripper okay. <laughs> she also has been arrested release recently due to drug related crimes and i believe she's still in jail for that um so brandon poe is the son of sue bob the lady I just mentioned, um, and he's currently in jail for 50 years for the attempted murder of Billy Hastings. So Mammy's boyfriend, Billy Hastings. Oh my goodness. He tried to murder him. So he was really high and he was buying a whole bunch of Zanny bars and Coke and weed, um, and guns. And I don't know exactly what happened because he was so like, coked out of his head that he didn't really know what he was doing but he shot billy hastings three times in the face and he lived <gasps> yeah how does someone survive that i don't know i really don't know he like his eye got blown out of his face and uh, like his neck and then he had a shootout with the police because he thought he'd killed billy um, so he, like, went and hid in the woods, and for, like, two days, he was, like, doing a shootout with the police. Oh, my goodness. Um, so he was 17 years old when that happened. He was 17? Yeah. Okay, 17, if he's 17, like, he is a product of his environment. Like, yeah. I feel like most of them are, but I just feel bad, because if he was raised in a normal family that didn't commit crimes and do a whole bunch of drugs, he might have not severely assaulted someone yeah so he was he was at the um county circuit court hoping to persuade a judge to release him from prison in 2005 
he was arrested um, after the police say he shot his uncle in the face and then turning the gun on the police. He also robbed two people at gunpoint, stole several cars, set a car on fire, fire and shot at the police six times. Um, but in court, um, Hastings pleaded for his nephew to be released from prison. Um, so Billy has forgiven him for shooting him in the face three times. Um, Judge William Thompson ordered him back to prison. Poe uh, po will be eligible for parole again in 2018. Um, but I haven't seen that he's been released when I looked him up. Also in the documentary, he hadn't been um, sentenced yet. And he was like, yeah, the judge really likes me. I think that like I'm just going to go home on house arrest. <laughs> Oh sentenced to 50 years. <laughs> he was so confused. <laughs> Why would anyone think that the judge, because the judge is polite to you in court, that means they like you and they're not going to sentence you to life in prison? I don't know. But he was like, yeah, the judge, judge likes me, so I'm probably just going to go home with a, a bracelet around my ankle. <laughs> then they were like, Wait, 50 I'm sorry, years. what was his crime? He shot his uncle three times in okay, the face. Okay, okay. I was like, are we still on that the- one? <laughs> still on that one. Okay. Oh, my gosh. Oh. Okay. And the last um, white that I will be talking about is uh, Gregory, Gregory Toiler White, um, which Kirk White, her son, the Dennis is this guy, um has been sentenced to 40 years in prison for fatally shooting a man he believed to owe him two dollars two dollars yeah gregory tyler white was sentenced to uh in the 2018 uh death of the 27 year old michael lewis camacho white previously pled guilty to second degree murder saying he repeatedly shot camacho because he was mad and thought camacho owed him two dollars White was 17 years old at the time and initially was charged with first-degree murder. Um, White's court-appointed attorney, Dennis Bailey, asked for White to be sentenced to 10 years in prison, calling Camacho slang the largest stupid decision that White has ever made. You gotta pay for your stupid decisions. Even though they're stupid decisions, you gotta pay the consequences. Yeah. So, um, that's a little bit about the White family. Um... It's, yeah, it's really crazy watching the documentary. I would highly recommend everyone watch it. Um, but it, at the end, like, they're all having a family picnic in the park. And, like, all of these, like, nine-year-old kids are, like, smoking. That's so, horrible. Uh, yeah, it makes me really sad. Um, because they're all just a product of their environment. There's one um, pony white. He um, left West Virginia. And he now has a painting company with his, um, that he owns. Um, but he, like, is the only one who's actually, like, made anything of himself. Um, and, like, his family, like, they all won't go back to Boone County because, like, people just treat them so much differently there. Like, if you're trying to be a good kid, like, your teachers and stuff won't won't give you, you know, the decency of, like, trying to, like, help you be someone good because they just, four generations have dealt with such awful children and, like, people won't hire you because they think that, like, you're just going to steal from them. 
So your family legacy like precedes you, and it's it's such a small town and such a small county that everyone knows who you are and everyone knows what your family is up to. Yeah, and because they're also kind of famous as well because of D Ray and Jesco. Like Jesco is like actually like pretty famous in West Virginia. Um, he like puts signs up in his apart like on his front door of his apartment saying like please leave me alone and oh, pe- really people come by and take them like he can't even have like a sign up for a day before someone will like come by his house and like try and like you know because they want to keep it as like a a token of like going to his place yeah so he i think that's why he's probably severely depressed because he's well one because his brain is all screwed up from all of the fumes he's huffed but um yeah he he is kind of like a small town celebrity like gets stopped on this on the street to uh um get like signatures and and yeah um so that's wow that's my west virginia case i'm definitely going to watch that documentary now isn't that insane wow the first time I watched it, my like jaw was just on like on the ground. I kept having to pick it up, and as soon as I picked it up, it was back on the floor. Yeah, that's like when I watched Tiger King because it's such a different world. It's like, how do these people exist? I know, right? This is like something out of a movie. Sounds like <laughs> the whites are similar. I honestly would say that the white family is probably more insane than tiger king tiger king it sounds like the white family is like tiger king but without tigers it's with mountain dancing yeah and zanny bars (laughs) zanny bars um what was i gonna say oh yeah like they also all get like stupidly high and they get tattoos (laughs) like give each other tattoos Okay, what tattoo? Oh, give me. T- I was like, what tattoo artist lets that happen? You're supposed to sign a document when you get a tattoo or a piercing that says like you're not drunk or you're not high or whatever. You haven't done anything in the past twenty four hours. Yeah, no, they 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 have um, tattoo uh, machines at nice. home, and they just get incredibly high. And there's a scene where they're like, tr- the- he was like. Um, tattooing, this guy was tattooing his cousin and she was like, I want you to write Miranda Raven on my arm. And he was like, M-A-R. And he was like, she was like, no, M-E-R. And then he, he ended up writing an A. Oh, dear. <laughs> no regrets. Yeah. It's like that tattoo. Mm-hmm. Alrighty. Shall I take you to Finland now? I'm ready for Finland. Okay. So I got my sources for this week from Wikipedia um imger.com or imger.com not sure how you say that but an article called murder classics by sumo woman (laughs) and then the podcast true crime finland episode 70 so i'm doing the oven homicide or as it's known in finland unisurma did you say oven yes i said oven oh my goodness Before I get started, just a little trigger warning. There are some mentions of domestic abuse. On December 25th, 1960, 13-year-old Seppo Sarinen came home to celebrate Christmas at his parents' place. His parents lived in the little village of Krutila in southwestern Finland, about two and a half hours drive northwest of the capital city of Helsinki. 
His parents, Hilka Halevi Sarinen and Penti Franz Olavi Sarinen, lived in a big wood house out in the woods. The house was old and Hilka had inherited it from her grandparents, so it had been in their family for decades. Seppo and his four younger siblings did not live with their parents, however, as they had been removed from the home two years earlier due to his father Penti's violent alcoholism. He had been invited back to visit at Christmas time by his mother Hilka and was eager to see her again. Seppo had brought a friend home with him from school and the two arrived the day before they were scheduled to. Uh, they had to hike into the house to the woods from the road in the snow and the dark Finnish winter. When they arrived, the door was unlocked, so they let themselves in. As they walked in and brushed the snow off their boots, Seppo's father, Penti, stepped out of the door from the kitchen and locked it behind him. He greeted the boys, commenting about how they were a day early, and when asked where Seppo's mother, Hilka, was, Penti said she'd gone out earlier that day, but he wasn't sure where. Um, I just... You can lock kitchen doors? Yeah, I guess there was a lock on that door. Some, like, some houses have locks on every door. I That's so strange to me. I don't like that. Also don't believe that the mother just decided to go out for something. It's yeah. suspicious. Uh, Seppo said perhaps Hilka was at a local house where she used to work, but Penti just said, nope, she's never there. <laughs> it's like, I don't know how you know, but all right. The boys didn't think much of it, and Penty was relaxed. They hung out that evening, but once the boys went up to bed, they realized they needed more blankets, which were kept in the master bedroom through the kitchen. When they came downstairs, Penty seemed to pay them close attention as they went through the kitchen. The odd thing, though, was that the kitchen light was off, but every other room was lit. When asked about this, Penty informed the boys that the lamp in the kitchen was broken. This is like the 1960s, uh, so there is electricity. <laughs> Um, as they walked through the kitchen, Seppo noticed that a bunch of junk that was usually kept on top of the oven, so picture like a cabin stove type thing, like big brick, um, like you light a fire in the middle and cook your food inside, it's kind of like a pizza oven type thing, mm-hmm. like it was really big and it was old and they didn't use it anymore because they had like a newer cooking thing, um, but a lot of junk that was usually kept on top of the oven had been pushed to the floor. When he asked his father about this, Penty said that he'd been cleaning up in the dark and had moved stuff around. That's suspicious. That's weird. So Seppo also noticed, though, that one of his father's hands was, like, a bit beaten up, like there were scrapes on it. Um, But his father was just like, oh, yeah, I was, like, in the dark, you know, so I I scratched myself while cleaning up in the dark. No sane person is like, oh, the lamp is broken in here. I must move everything around and clean it. The first thing you would do is go get a new light. Yeah, I know. That night, the three of them went to bed without any sign of Hilka. Hilka never returned from where she had gone earlier that afternoon. The next day, Penty was acting even more strange, like so odd and a bit menacing towards the boys, like keeping an eye on them hovering around, so much so that the friend got too uncomfortable and left the next day. Seppo, however, remained for his visit. Over the next couple days, Hilka never showed up. Seppo returned back to his foster home at New Year's after spending a week with his father. Hilka and Penti's neighbors, however, were very concerned about Hilka. After a week and a bit of not seeing her and knowing she was missing, the neighbors reported her missing to the police. 
The police came and interviewed Penty about his missing wife, Hilka. They interviewed the neighbors and many people within the community as well, but no one knew where Hilka was. Within the community, however, many people were extremely suspicious of Penty. As I mentioned, Penty was an alcoholic and would get violent when drunk. When he got drunk, he would physically assault Hilka. This was well known within the community. Hilka would tell her friends about it and would often escape to the neighbor's house during spurts of abuse. She would show the neighbors her wounds as well as describe the psychological abuse she faced from Penty. Her husband would control what she bought and would throw out any new clothing items she brought home. He would beat her and force her to eat spoons full of salt and at one time he like shoved her face into a bucket of poo as well. Ew. Yeah. yeah. Why salt? I don't know. Like, is that supposed to do something? Ugh. I don't know. I, th- I think it's just not nice to eat a big spoonful of salt. Yeah, that's true. Once he stabbed her with a fork during dinner because he thought she was eating like a pig and it bothered him. But it left her with big fork stab wounds and ulcers on her arms. Uh, that's insane. Yeah, so this guy was not a nice person. The neighbors told all of this to the police, recounting the details of the abuse Hilka suffered. They also told police that they had last seen Hilka on December 23rd, when she had come over to chat about traditional Christmas meal recipes, as she was really excited that her son was coming for Christmas that year. Months went by, then years went by, but there was never any sign of Hilka. Penty was interviewed multiple times by police, but nothing ever came from this. He always told them that he didn't know where she was. Penty lives quietly alone in the big wooden house for years to come. He was distant and reclusive, rarely leaving the house and becoming almost a hermit. The son Steppo, however, could never really believe his mother had just disappeared and was really suspicious about his father for good reason. Whenever Steppo came home to visit, he would snoop around the house. Because of his father's often abusive behavior, I don't think he fully like trusted him. With each visit, he would which would only last a couple days at a time, Seppo would inspect a new part of the house and the surrounding area when his father wasn't home. He inspected underneath the old wooden house at the stone base and the foundation. He checked the outhouse for anything suspicious or odd. He looked around the basement of the house, but nothing was unusual. He looked in the attic, under the floorboards, anywhere else he could think, but he never found anything out of the ordinary. He checked the big brick oven and noticed that the top felt like it had been recently redone, as if it had been taken apart and put back again. The oven hadn't been used in years because they had a new oven, and this was quite a dated oven. So this was a bit odd. There's no reason to repair it or redo it. He kept searching, though, and the only other slightly odd thing he ever noticed was that a pile of sand that was in the yard outside the barn was no longer there, but... That's not really unusual. After a couple years of this, Seppo began to think his mother Hilka was dead. In 1966, six years after he had last seen his mother, Seppo sent a letter to the police. In this letter, he said, quote, I suspect that my father knows more about the disappearance of my mother than he, than he has told me. He has clearly opened the oven and shut it again. However, the oven had not been used in the seven to eight years before this. My father was cleaning in the dark, even though another room was lit when I arrived. I think the oven should be dismantled. My father could do anything, unquote. 
The police got the letter but didn't do anything about it. So Seppo wrote an article for a local magazine called I Suspect My Father is a Murderer. In this article, he tells of his suspicions about his father murdering his mother. The next time he goes back to the house to visit his father, and I assume to look for his mother, Penti is not too happy about the article, but simply just says to Seppo, quote, let's just both mind our own business, unquote. <laughs> oh, what? That's really bold of him to even go home. Like, yeah, if I, I had written an article being like, uh, my dad killed my mom, I would not go back there. Mm-hmm. I think it was an anonymous article. Oh, but he's describing, like, his father killing his mother and putting her in the oven, which is what he suspected. So, obviously, if Penty read it, he's going to be like, this is about me. I'm sure there's only so many missing wives in Finland. Mm-hmm. And in, in, that, small, uh, in that community. So, more years go by and nothing happens. Hilka is still missing. Seppo still suspects his father. And Penty is still living quietly alone in the woods in Hilka's family home. 1972, Seppel gets a phone call from the police. New investigators had been put on old cold cases, and they had found the letter he wrote back in 1966, and the police wanted to talk to Seppel and his father. Seppel spoke with the police and told him all he knew, mentioning his father's odd behavior over the years and on that Christmas night he came home to visit. He also mentioned the fact that the oven, which was never used, had looked like it had been taken apart and put together again, as he mentioned in the letter. On November 27, 1972, 12 years after Hilka was last seen alive, the police arrive with a warrant to search the oven of Penty's house. Penty is taken to the police station for questioning while the police get to work dismantling the oven. So I'll just describe the oven for a second. From what I could tell, this oven was not like what we have today. As I mentioned, it was like a big pizza oven, but like deeper and kind of like built into the wall it was like brick and there was a big chamber where you would put the fire and then put the food that you were cooking have you ever seen those like instagram videos of like those like middle eastern like cooking things because they've kind of got like pizza oven kind of thing that's like that i can't remember what you're talking about but i feel like i have but i can like we'll post like some photos of the oven on our Instagram. That's smart. Um, so you can check that out at Destination Murder Pot if you'd like to see. Yeah. Stop imagining it and start seeing it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so it's like this big oven, not like an oven that we would have today. So the police start dismantling the oven brick by brick, and all of a sudden, after they get down a little bit from the ceiling, it sort of explodes out. The oven had been filled to the brim with sand. So, you know, the sand from the pile that had gone missing earlier. This is really, really strange because ovens aren't meant to be filled with sand. And why would anyone go through the trouble of to fill an oven up with sand? The police get out their shovels and start digging through the sand deeper into the oven at about one meter deep or like, I guess, two and a half feet deep, three feet deep. One of their shovels hits something weird. A rubber boot. The police officer feels it and he can tell there are toes in it. The police dig carefully and soon a mummified head appears out of the sand. The body of Hilka Sarinen has been found. 
As they unearthed the body, they find that she was shoved way into the back of the oven, tucked into the fetal position. Hilka was very petite, and she was petite enough that she fit into the oven, shoved all the way at the back. That's insane. She was still in her winter clothes. She had on her rubber boots, her mittens, a sweater, and a big black winter coat. At the morgue, Seppo was called to identify his mother, although it was difficult as her features had been mummified. An autopsy was performed, but they could not find any sign of violence because of the state of Hilka's remains, and so they couldn't find a cause of death. But some of the medical experts said that they couldn't be sure whether or not she was dead before she was placed in the oven. So they suspected she could have been like buried alive <gasps> or at least unconscious. Or could she have been burned? I'm not sure. Maybe. <laughs> I think if she was burned, then she wouldn't have been mummified. Oh, that's true. Yeah. You're using your noggin. (laughs) So Penty was immediately arrested and questioned, but he didn't confess a thing. He just stayed silent about the whole ordeal. He said he had absolutely no idea how Hilka had gotten inside the oven. It's like, okay, you rarely leave the house. You don't know how that happened? She just slipped and fell, and then a whole bunch of bricks and sand fell on top of her. So... He's arrested and goes to trial, and at the trial, Penty was assigned a defense attorney by the judge, even though he didn't want one. He apparently said he did not want a defense attorney because he said it would do him more harm than good. I don't know. That's psychopath talking. Throughout the trial, Penty continued to deny any wrongdoing and claimed that gypsies had broken in and done the deed. But of course, this was thrown out immediately. Witnesses were called to the stands who detailed the injuries that Hilka had sustained from Penty throughout the years leading up to her death. You know, she'd often complained to her friends and, and the neighbors, and they were all called as witnesses. And she'd even gone to the doctor multiple times to be treated for the abuse. However, so I'm not sure if this was included in the trial. Like, one of my sources said it was, but more of my sources said this fact wasn't included. But... A key piece of evidence, so it was either left out of the trial or included, couldn't figure it out. But it turns out that in the seven months leading up to Hilka's murder, Penty had checked out over 75 books from the library about murder. <sighs> so he checked out a whole bunch of like crime fiction novels and stories about like, there was one about a man murdering his wife. So I don't know. Mm. Sounds premeditated to me. Kind of does. But even with the fact that Penty was a domestic abuser and had nearly been caught red-handed burying his wife in the oven, the court found him not guilty of murder. They sentenced Penty instead to severe assault of his wife and eight years in prison. That's not okay. Yeah, because they were like, well, we don't actually know how she died, so we're just going to say you, like, it was an accident that she died, but you had a hand in it, which... Okay, Um, but a year later, Penty was out of prison and a free man because the Finnish Supreme Court stated that because Hilka's cause of death was unknown, Penty could not be sentenced for manslaughter or accidental death 12 years after the incident because the statute of limitations had expired for this crime. Oh, sweet Jesus. I know. That just boggles my mind. Like, there's literally only one person who could have done this. And and you forgot about the gypsies. Oh, right. Sorry. 
yeah, just blame it on gypsies. Use gypsies as your scapegoat. Great. Penti went back to live in Hilka's house. Like the house belonged to Hilka. So he went back to live in Hilka's house in the woods, but he never even cleaned up the mess the police left or repaired the oven. So he lived in the house with like the oven spilled out into the kitchen and the house deteriorated around him alone. And he lived there alone until his death in 1986. Wow. Mm-hmm. That's uh, not mental health. No. So yeah, this guy was obviously very reclusive and he probably had some some sort of mental health issue as well as being a severe alcoholic yeah that's um that's yucky yeah he should have stayed in jail so the children grew up and grew apart never having a friend never having a relationship with their hermit father because i would not want to have a relationship with this dude sadly one of the now adult children died by suicide and another one was murdered I looked into them and I couldn't find any information on this, but... That's insane. He was kind of like a family annihilator. uh, Yeah. Just because he is such a horrible person. So Seppo was able to have some sort of closure after his mother's remains were found, even if his father wasn't in prison. Yeah, at least it's like what I think happened. Like other people like are hearing me. Yeah. Hilka's house stood empty and deteriorating for years after Penthi's death. Um, the oven still dismantled in the kitchen. Local teenagers and thrill seekers would visit walking around the grounds and through the house until its demolition in 2015. Today, Hilka's death is still recorded as unsolved, but honestly, I think we all know who did it, and I cannot think of any situation in which the husband is not guilty for her murder. Yeah. And that is the oven murder, or Unisurma. That was insane. Yeah. I can't believe that they didn't charge, or, like, nothing actually happened. Yeah, it's pretty crazy. That's wild. Yeah, it's it's so horrific. The thing that gets me is, like, the justice system did not give Hilka justice. Like, all of the evidence was circumstantial, but, like, back in the 70s, you only ever had circumstantial evidence. Yeah. Unless he was actually, like, caught by multiple people. But he, like, honestly almost was caught. Yeah. Also, the master bedroom was behind the wall that the oven was at, so he was, like, sleeping, like, on the other side of the wall from his murdered wife. That's really weird. All right. On to better things. Did you see the new Harry Styles video? Listen. With Phoebe Waller-Bridge? Harry Styles has saved 2021. (laughs) This year is fine now. He released a New Year's music video. It was so good. I loved it so much. I love Phoebe Waller-Bridge, too. I don't know who she is. She's in Fleabag. She's like a screenwriter comedian Mm. um but she has this show called fleabag and it is so good it's on amazon prime i believe so you should watch it but it's like a quirky comedy that's fun yeah the first season is like a little bit sad but i i loved the second season the second season was so much fun Hmm. i'll have to give that a go what else has happened uh have you watched bridgerton 
No, I haven't. Uh, it's very intense and very good. It's a Shonda Rhimes series, oh, so okay. I'm sure you'll like it. I saw the trailer and I was like, I don't know if I'm going to enjoy this. It's good. Um, but it's probably one that I'll end up watching at some point. Have you seen uh, The Ripper on Netflix? No, I started it, but um, I was wrapping Christmas presents at the time and I couldn't focus on it. Mm-hmm. Um and I've needed something just, like, light to to watch. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I have not gotten into it yet. But it looks good. It's so good. I, I really liked how they did it. And they, like, didn't focus on the guy, like, the Yorkshire Ripper. Yeah. It was more about, the like, the victims and how the police kind of blundered the investigation. Yeah. I don't know how much you know about the case, but they the police were, like, fed false leads as well, which kind of sucks. Yeah. Like, really sucked. I've been re-watching Grey's Anatomy, um, so that's where my mental health is at. <laughs> <laughs> I just finished watching the episode where um, Meredith uh, has her hand on the bomb inside that guy's chest. She almost dies. Oh, I can't remember that one. Yeah. It's like, I like season I two, I think. I think the one that traumatized me the most was when the te- the teenager was brought in in a hunk of cement. Yeah. Do you remember that episode? Mm-hmm. I remember watching that because my parents used to watch Grey's Anatomy when I was little. But I remember coming in and seeing that and I was like, oh my gosh, that can happen. And then he got like compartmental syndrome or something like from being crushed. Yeah. And it was like so dramatic. That's the only, that's the episode that is, like, burned into, into my, my brain. Head. Yeah. Um, I've clearly been on a Shonda Rhimes journey. Yeah, you have. <laughs> this last couple of weeks. I don't blame you. Yeah. She's a good writer. Um, what else has happened? I painted my bathroom. It looks so good. So good. Um, the never-ending Tegan's uh, apartment reno saga. Yeah. I've got one more wall to paint. And I've got a couple shelves to install in the bathroom, and then I'll basically be done. But the it came out mint. I started painting all of the walls white, and the bathroom was supposed to be white originally until I started painting it and realized quickly that it was basically yellow. Um, Ooh. so it's now all nice and bright and white and the f- space feels so much bigger. And then I painted one of the walls, um, like an, an, a rich navy blue. Um, oh, that's nice. Yeah. So we're going to put some shelves up on that wall, um, and put some decoration, like decor kind of stuff up and mm-hmm. it'll be Can finished. Can you just like do whatever you want to the apartment? Um, basically um he just doesn't want any like super bright like hard colors to go over like we're not allowed to paint like the hot the house like hot pink okay yeah but like we're picking pretty like neutral easy tones that like anyone would like um and i've told him if he doesn't like anything then i can just paint over it before we leave but he's liked everything that i've done and I'm kind of making his house better, so... Nice. <laughs> You're like, okay, where's my rent discount? Yeah. <laughs> Please! One of the first 
like apartments that I lived in. Um, I lived in a basement suite my second year of university, but they had painted it so terribly. They the room that I lived in ha- was originally painted lime green and hot pink. We painted over it in a nice gray, but I was like, why? Who in the world would choose this as the color to paint their room? I have no idea. Like, it was so horrible. That's nasty. Why? Why would you choose lime green and hot pink? And there were, like, three guys who had lived in that space before us. And I was like, so this poor guy had to live in this lime green and hot pink room. I mean, so he ugly. didn't have to. You painted it. He probably could have painted it, too. Maybe he was the one who painted it that. No, the landlord's... The landlord was like, I chose the colors. Isn't oh. awesome? And I was like, mm-hmm. Mm. So awesome. Love it. Thank you. Living in that apartment was so horrible. It was like, it was horrible. Because the landlords just didn't want to repair anything. And it like flooded often. Ew. And we like ripped up the carpet at one point because what there was issues. But there were earthworms under the carpet in the area where it flooded. I know. It was so gross. But then two years later, I was at, I was doing this like first aid course with my roommate who had lived in that apartment with me, Alicia. And we met this girl and we were kind of talking about apartments and stuff. And she's like, oh my God. Cause we said our landlord's name. She's like, oh my God, I live there. Is that, is that on like, is this the address? And we were like, oh my gosh, I'm so Poor girl. sorry. She, She'd lived there for two years. That's And she was like, yeah, it's not bad. I was like, oh, oh honey. <laughs> you don't I'm even so know. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, the other uh, big thing that's happened in my life is uh, I bought a vacuum cleaner. It is, you know, this is what my life has come to where that's the most excited thing that brings me joy. But this vacuum cleaner is sick. I love it so much. I just want to show it to everyone. I love it. Post it on the Instagram. Okay. <laughs> I, I will. <laughs> it's amazing. It, it actually nice. it actually works. We we had a Hoover before that um just stopped working. Um and I went over our carpet in our living room to like vacuum it up and it completely filled the canister and it's like not a very big carpet so clearly the hoover wasn't working decently for a while but i love it and i'm so happy my house feels so much cleaner i know i love cleaning like well i don't like cleaning but i love giving a space a good deep clean and like seeing the results like i cleaned the bathroom the other day and i was like scrubbing everything it was therapeutic yeah you have a pretty big thing that you've been doing recently that I think we need to be talking about. What? Uh, you've been making earrings. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I have been making earrings. I was like, I don't think that's pretty big. I think it is. They look so good. Yeah, I make little snaky earrings here. There's some right here. Uh, describe it to the people, Tegan. Um, so one is blue. One is red. Um, and it's kind of like if you pictured like a snake slithering somewhere, so its body is kind of, um, slithered and then it just doesn't have a head. Instead, it has a hook where 
it goes into your ear. Yes. They remind. Very good. Are these hard? Yes. Or are they like. These are. What do you mean hard? They like. Are a little bit. They have a little bit stingy. of give. Yeah, they have a little bit of give. They're like uh, polymer clay. Mm. Um, so I bake them. But it's definitely a learning curve because I think I'm putting them in too long and they're getting just a little bit like scorched. Oh. <laughs> so the color is a little bit off. Um, but yeah, they are super cute. I made, I've made like almost 10 pairs now in the past like two days. That's amazing. <laughs> are they all the snaky shape or have you tried, um, venturing out into ever- any other designs? I tried venturing out into other designs, but th- it didn't really work. Um, but I will probably try again today or tomorrow, depending. But it's very fun. Yeah. I like being able to do something with my hands. Yeah, it's a good little task to do, like, while you're watching stuff or, you know, doing things. It's it's a good preoccupier. Yeah, exactly. And if you don't know Megan or I, we're very big earring people. Like, we don't leave the house without earrings. That's that's our if statement. If I'm not wearing dangly earrings when I leave the house, I feel naked. Yeah. It's like at least a hoop or something. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty wild. Um I really hate going to the gym because I take my ear, I, I, like, I have to take my earrings off because I wear such big earrings and I'm like, this isn't right. You know, I just put an earring on. I'm like, ooh, she's so glam. <laughs> Who is she? <laughs> Cover of Vogue magazine. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Tegan, are you ready to find out where you're going to, where you going to be? I'm excited. Next week, where am I going? You're going to Senegal. Ooh, Senegal. I just wrote that down and it changed it to dental in my phone. <laughs> Your phone obviously does not know geography. No, apparently not. Or I just don't know how to spell properly. One or the other. It's probably I didn't know how to spell correctly and it just auto-corrected it. Okay, I am going to Arizona, Ooh. USA. Home of got. Phoenix University. Yes. <laughs> sure. Probably home of Arizona State University. But have you ever heard of Phoenix? It's no. like the online school. But like, did you ever see those ads like in the early 2000s, 2010s? It's like, get your university degree from home. No. And now, and now everyone is because it's Zoom University. Yeah. How unfortunate. <sighs> yes. Anyways, on that note, I guess that is... that's that thanks for listening follow us on instagram at destination murder pod please share us with your friends anyone else you think would like to listen to us we want to be in their ear holes yeah (laughs) we want to be in everyone's ear holes Mm -hmm. maybe (laughs) i want to tickle your brains (laughs) give you some knowledge that you don't really need but Mm -hmm. it helps make cool conversations when you're meeting new people yeah. Is your um, 2021 New Year's resolution to be more worldly? This is one way you can do so. Yeah. We cover stories from all over the world. From the comfort of your home or mm-hmm. your car or your desk, literally wherever you listen to us. Mm-hmm. You don't have to leave the country to travel. Yeah. Not in, you can not travel in this day and age. Murder pod. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, thanks for listening. See you next week. 
be in your ear holes next week. Oh, baby. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Goodbye. Goodbye. Bye. Goodbye. Happy New Year's. Peace M- out. Megan hasn't showered in a year. <laughs>